This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Is anybody excited to be in the house of God tonight? Do y'all feel that in the atmosphere? I'm telling you, something is going to happen in here. I am a I'm not just excited to be here at Celebration. I am Red Bull excited, espresso elated. I have been waiting with tiptoe anticipation to get my chocolate face in the place tonight. Uh, man, something is going to happen in here. First of all, you got to understand that I've been hearing about your church. People have been talking about y'all. I don't know if you know this. People are talking behind your back and saying phenomenal things. And people are telling me you ain't preaching nowhere till you come to Fresno, California. Celebration Church. It is it is my absolute honor to be here and I'm expecting God to do something awesome tonight and over these next three days. And man, I want to thank you for being in the house of God tonight. Even if it's your first time here and you're wondering what are these people doing? Are they cray cray? Look at them worshiping and what's going on. Can I tell you you're at the right place at the right time, at the right moment? You ain't got to be nervous. You ain't going to get beat up tonight. You're going to get built up. You're going to feel better when you walk out of here. And uh, man, I just, I just hope you know how blessed you are to be a part of this church. Just hope you know it. I, uh, I just, just actually met your pastor tonight. It's actually kind of funny how I got the invite to come. Uh, he called me up. Pastor Randy did a very quick conversation. He said, Robert, do you believe in free speech? I said, uh, Pastor Randy, absolutely I do. He said, good, come give one. At our church tonight. <laughs> it's not what happened, but but man, just in meeting your pastor, especially meeting his son and hanging today, man, I hope you know how blessed you are to have him as your leader, him and his amazing wife. Can we just give honor to where honor is due? Come on, can you thank God for your pastors? Y'all could do better than that. Can you let them know how much you love them? Come on, can you let them know how much you appreciate who they are? Amen. We thank God for you. I, uh, I'm just, my wife and I, we're in a season of our life where we so appreciate people whose lives speak louder than any message they could ever preach. And uh, when I look at the faithfulness of your life, Pastor, and what you've done and your faithfulness to this church, is, uh, man, it is huge to my wife and I. I, I bring you greetings from the great country of Texas. Uh, <laughs> lived there my entire life. Uh, been married, let's see now, for four years, six months, eight days, four minutes and 22 seconds to the finest woman on the planet. Uh, she generally travels with me, but we're in a unique season. We have two kids, a two-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. She's at home with my babies, and I'm not going to be that dude. You know how some rookie parents are. They always put up pictures of their kid because they want everybody to see their kid. I'm not that dad. You ain't got to worry about me putting my babies on the screen. This is about me preaching Jesus, not you seeing my kids. So you ain't going to worry about that. We good. We good. That ain't true. If y'all don't put my baby girl on every screen up in here. Woo! Hey, celebration. I made that now. That is my daughter. That is my girl. Her name is Everly Adair Madu. We call her Evie. Uh, she is the reason that I pray more and I have five shotguns. Amen. <laughs> And, uh, man, just Friday, just Friday, my baby boy, put my son up there, my baby boy. Come on, somebody, two for two. That's my boy, my man child. Uh, he just turned one, and uh, his name is Robert Madu III. That is my legacy, my namesake. And I noticed not just the cute face or the dimples, but notice that hat. God's team. America's team. I was robbed by some referees and some cheese heads. I'm not bitter. I'm just saying. But, uh, man, I, I put their picture up everywhere I go because uh, fatherhood is the best hood. Uh, there's nothing like being a dad. But I, uh, I really feel like I have a word that if you have an ear to hear what God is saying tonight, it is going to change your life forever. And hear me, that's not just hyperbole. That's not preacher hype. I really believe that this is going to set the course of your year. You're going to be wishing you got this on January 1st, but I'm glad you're here tonight and I'm believing God's going to speak. Do you have a Bible with you? I'm going to jump straight to the word. You got a Bible? Come on. If you got a Bible, wave it in the air like you just do care. Awesome. Some of your Bibles are glowing. You charged up your Bible <laughs> last night. 
I want to turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 12 tonight. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. And then also 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 9. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And then 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9. While you're looking for it, how many of you have never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand if you've never heard me preach? Oh, Lord, that's everybody. Uh, <laughs> quick disclaimer, um, there are so many different preaching styles in the body of Christ. Uh, there are some preachers who are very calm, uh, very quiet, very stoic and sedate as they stand behind a pulpit or a circular table uh, to softly pontificate the processes of philosophy, eschatology, and soteriology. And... They would consider it uncanny and boisterous for you to say anything while they're sharing what the Lord has deposited in the deep recesses of their heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Uh, I ain't one of those preachers, okay? I am a holla back preacher, all right? Amen. All that means is I preach better and shorter. Come on, somebody. If you, get, if you get verbally involved, if anything I say tonight resonates with you, you can say, amen. You can say, preach that. You can say, mm, that was good. You can literally stand up in the middle and go, whoo, that was for me. <laughs> you can also stand up and go, oh, that was for you. For real, you need it. <laughs> Play it, don't do that. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse number one, and it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. What an awesome thought to consider, that God has set a race before each and every one of us, and we are required to run that race. How do we do it? The writer of Hebrews tells us we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Come on, can you say amen? And then to add an addendum to this, I want to look at 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 9. And I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's message translation. And it says, whatever Saul gave David to do, he did it. And did it well. So well that Saul put him in charge of his military operations. Everybody, both the people in general and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out of all of the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs, and lutes. I'm not really sure what a lute is, but I'm assuming it's like a flute without the F. And <laughs> profound, I know. <laughs> And it says, in playful frolic, in playful frolic, you know it's a party when people are taking the time to frolic, okay? <laughs> playful frolic, the women sang, listen to what they sang, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. Ooh, and this made Saul angry, very angry. He took it as a personal insult. He said, huh, they credit David with ten thousands, but me, but me? With only thousands? For you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. And from that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. I don't want to preach before I preach, so don't count this as my preaching time. But I do want you to hear me celebration to see these two passages of scripture in parallel. Because here we have the writer of Hebrews who says there's a race that's been set before each and every one of us. And you run the race by keeping your eyes on who? Jesus. But here we have Saul because of a comparison that these ladies made between him and David. No longer is he in his lane running his race with his eyes on Jesus, but comparison is so strong. It caused Saul to shift all of his focus, all of his attention on to David. I want to preach tonight, not long, about four and a half hours, <laughs> using, using this thought. This is my title, On Their Mark. If you're taking notes. Write that down. On their mark. Now, I realize when you're running a race, they say get on your mark. But I'm finding many people in the body of Christ cannot run the race God has set before them because they have their eyes on the people in the lanes beside them. So instead of being on your mark, you're on. This is going to be good up in here tonight. Come on, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, I thank you for your word. 
God, I know the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word shall stand forever. Holy Spirit, speak to us tonight. God, we've not gathered here tonight to be entertained. God, we have come to be drastically changed. Speak to us so clearly. And when we leave, let us say, it was so good to have been in the presence of Jesus. And somebody who loves Jesus, say amen. amen. Say amen again. Amen. On their mark. Quick little sermonic survey before we delve into this tonight. How many of you would say, just by a showing of hands, that you like to work out? You enjoy exercise? Can I see your hand? Oh, come on. That is quite a few hands. We got some healthy people in Celebration Church. Let me see. Okay, awesome. You can put it down. How many of you would say, by a showing of hands, uh, that you don't like to work out? You do not enjoy exercise. Can I see your hand? Come on. Don't lie in church. Okay. <laughs> Awesome, you can put it down. Uh, those of you, those of you who lifted up your hand the first time, the first time, saying that you like to work out, that you actually enjoy exercise, you are officially dismissed from this service, okay? <laughs> Not for real. You can leave. As a matter of fact, run home, okay? <laughs> because, uh, because I have now found some camaraderie and some commonality with the second group of people. Y'all are my people, okay? I will lift up both hands, both feet, tell the truth, and shame the devil, okay? I do not like to work out. Just be honest. There is absolutely nothing in me that finds enjoyment or pleasure in going to the gym. As a matter of fact, I am theologically and physiologically persuaded that having to work out was as a result of the fall of man. Aren't there serious people? There, there were no gyms in Genesis, okay? There were no ellipticals in the Garden of Eden, all right? You, you cannot have Pilates and have paradise. God, God in his infinite wisdom and his omnipotent power created us as perfectly perfect beings. Perfectly perfect. That means Adam, he had biceps, he had triceps. Uh, he didn't have a one-pack, he had a six-pack. Uh, ladies, ladies, Eve had 0% body fat. Zero percent. Some are like, uh-uh, Robert, what's your scripture for that? Oh, I'll give you some scripture. The Bible says, the Bible says, they were both naked and unashamed. Come on, somebody. You only walk around naked if you got it going on. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It was not, it was not until they took of the forbidden fruit that sin and calories entered into the world. So, so I don't like to work out. I don't like to work out. But I do work out. I do work out. And the reason I do what I hate is because of what I love, which is to eat, okay? I love to eat. I'm a much better eater than I'm a faster, okay? Don't hate on me. That's my spiritual gift. So, so whenever I go to the gym, whenever I go to the gym, I actually like to lift weights. I enjoy lifting. There's something manly about putting on Old Spice and lifting iron, okay? I like to lift. But, but how many of you know lifting does not burn the calories? It doesn't burn the calories. You got to do cardio, which means you have to engage in an evil three-letter word called run. Woo, celebration. This is my issue, okay? I hate to run. I despise running, okay? I cannot articulate to you how much I hate to run. I hate that run runs with fun because there's nothing fun to me about running, okay? But whenever I do run, I convince my mind I have asthma just so I can stop running, okay? So... So for me, to get on a treadmill is a big deal, and I need a lot of motivation. I got to have a Nike Just Do It t-shirt on. I got to have motivational music playing. I got the eye of a tiger. I need all that just to get on the treadmill. And then once I get on the treadmill, I'll start at a good glacial pace, and I'll be going. I'm like, oh, pff, this is easy. Oh, this is awesome. I've been running for like... Feels like 30 minutes. Then I look at the screen and it's like three minutes. I'm like, my asthma, I can't do this. I'm gonna die today. So, uh, so I've developed this move, and I'm letting out my secrets tonight. I've developed this move as a mechanism for motivation to keep running on the treadmill. True story is I'm running on the treadmill, wanting to quit, wanting to throw in the towel. I will just slowly look to the right. And then I will look to the left and I will just peruse the aisle of other people who are running on their treadmills. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for somebody, anybody, a much older than me body. And once I found that random person, I will lock my eye in on that person and I will say something to them. Not out loud, but in my mind, real loud. I will say to them, Psh, you don't want none. Now, 
Let me explain what just happened when I said, Psh, you don't want none. When I said that, unbeknownst to that person, we just entered into a race, okay? Oh, y'all gonna act like I'm the only one that does this, okay? Like, like when I said that, this workout just got real, okay? As soon as I made that declaration, the entire gymnasium has now been transformed to the 2017 Olympics, and the first person to step off the treadmill is going home with the silver, and the one that stays on the longest is going home with the gold, and I'm gonna get the gold because I'm a child of God, the head and not the tail. All we do is win, 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 no matter what. Come on, can I get a witness up in here on a Wednesday night? True story, true story. And, and it really helps me when the person is right next to me because then I can see their screen and see exactly how fast they're going. You know what I'm saying? So it's even. So if they're on level six, I'm on level six, point one. And uh, if they speed up, I'm going to speed up. If they go on an incline, I'm going to go on an incline. If they stop and take a break, I'm going to stop and take a break. Oh, yes, I'm not going to keep running while they stop and take a break. That's cheating. You can't cheat in the Olympics. This is a global event. So whatever they do, I will do, and then I'll wait for it. And as soon as they press stop and get off the treadmill, I will speed mine up to the fastest level because you got to sprint to the finish line. Then I'll press stop, jump off, grab my towel, and say, I got the gold, and rejoice in my sweet victory. I wish I was lying, but I'm being so real with y'all tonight. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I beat a guy a couple of weeks ago. Beat him bad, too. Random guy. And I saw him in the locker room afterwards. I said, hey, man, how are you? He said, I'm good. How are you? I said, I'm great. In fact, I'm golden, loser. It was awesome. And, uh, and you laugh because uh, it's funny. It's, it's comical. When you talk about comparing yourself to other people in the gym, comparing yourself to other people when you're doing exercise. How many of you know it's not so funny when you talk about comparing yourself to other people in life? And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, what I'm afraid tonight's message mandates is that you introspectively ask the critical question, who are you racing? Who are you racing? I'm just wondering, who in your life have you set your eye on and you are running your race according to their pace instead of doing the thing that God has called you to do? Instead of chasing after the purpose and the assignment and the destiny that God has placed on your life? Who I just came to warn you tonight that the comparison game is a dangerous game to play. I don't know whether you notice this when you're running on a treadmill, which is another reason why I hate running. Have you noticed when you're on a treadmill, you're doing a lot of movement? A lot of breathing, a lot of sweat, but you ain't going anywhere. You're in the exact same position the entire time. What a beautiful metaphor for comparing yourself to other people. Because whenever you compare yourself to somebody else, all you end up doing is exerting a lot of psychological, emotional, and spiritual energy trying to keep up and compete with somebody you were never called or created to be. And at the end of all of it, you realize, I'm in the exact same position I was when I first got started. I'm afraid tonight I actually have more message than I have minutes because I'm just exercising something a great mentor in my life told me that I'll never forget. He said, Robert, whenever you preach, just preach from your weakness because you'll never lack for material to preach. Ooh. I'm preaching from my weakness tonight because I have found in my own life, in my own life, as I'm running the race God has set before me, I have an inner proclivity and tendency to look at the people on the lanes beside me. Hear me, I am convinced that comparison, comparison is the number one destroyer of destiny. Number one destroyer. I am convinced that the enemy's number one weapon of mass distraction and mass destruction is to get you to compare yourself to somebody else. It's his number one weapon because after all, that's what got him kicked out of heaven. Satan, Lucifer, you know he used to be on the praise and worship team of heaven. It started with comparison. He was created to be a conduit, to be a container of God's glory. But he starts comparing himself to God and said, I will exalt my throne above the most high. And that's what got him fired and dismissed. And now his job is to kill, steal, and destroy from you and I. And that's exactly what comparison will do. It will kill your joy. It will steal your peace. It will suffocate your sanity. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is like cancer to contentment. You know, I love the Apostle Paul, uh, the artist formerly known as Saul. That's funny to me. And he wrote a majority of your New Testament. And I love when he starts bringing order and structure to the church at Corinth because he warns them about the danger of comparison. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12. Paul says, for we dare not, we dare not 
class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Paul says, you are stupid. You are foolish. You are cuckoo if you are playing the comparison game. And do you know how comparison is not wise? Hear my heart tonight. Because comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. Ooh, that was so nice. I'm going to say it twice. Comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. Meaning if you ever want to be confused about what God has called you to do, then just start comparing yourself to what other people have been called to do. First of all, let's just establish tonight that there has been a call that has been placed on your life. Oh, come on, somebody. I hope you know that in here today, that there is a call on your life, a call that Jesus did not come from heaven to earth. Get on a cross and get up from the grave so we can have cute church services and sing songs off a screen like it's Christian karaoke. But there is a call on your life, a purpose on your life, a destiny on your life. Come on, you can't sneak into the earth. You are not here by accident. You are here by God's divine promise because he has an assignment and a call on your life check your pulse if you got a pulse that pulse is proof positive that God is not through with you yet because there is a call that is on your life come on that's why you still here and 2016 didn't kill you because God has something for you to do oh I feel like preaching in here tonight somebody give God some praise if you know there is a call that is on your life a call a call you do know you do know there's a difference between a career and a calling see a career is what you get paid to do a calling is the thing you were made to do it's the thing that when you do it you say I was born to do this right here there is a call on your life not only that God has given you everything you need to accomplish your call that's shouting stuff right there to think to think that everything I need to do what God has called me to do is already in me everything you need to do what God has called you to do guess what it is already in you you don't have to look outside of yourself you ain't got to hate on anybody you ain't got to be jealous of anybody you ain't got to tell nobody catch me outside how about that you ain't got to do none of that because you got everything you need on the inside of you that means if you were supposed to be taller guess what he would have made you taller if you were supposed to sing he would have given you a voice if you were supposed to dance he would have given you more rhythm if you were supposed to be america's next top model he would have made you cuter hello if you were supposed to be black he would have made you black if you were supposed to be white he would have made you white if you were supposed to be latino buenos noches he would have made you latino you got everything you need on the inside of you Stop complaining to the master about the pieces you didn't get and just start praising him that you're a masterpiece. Come on, somebody. You are a masterpiece created by God. Come on. Can we take a praise break and just praise God and thank him for making you the way he made you? Oh, come on, celebration. That's the best praise you got. I said praise him and thank him for making you the way he made you. Hallelujah. You are a masterpiece created by the greatest artist who is God. In fact, I want to interrupt this rarely scheduled sermon so that you can engage in a verbal exercise. Would you just say this? Say, I I am a masterpiece. Oh, say it like you believe that thing. Say, I I am a masterpiece. Come on, say it like you got faith and power. Say, I I am a masterpiece. I'm telling you, if that got in your head and in your heart, it would change the way you walk into a room. It would change the way you feel about yourself to know that you are a masterpiece created by the greatest artist who is God. As a matter of fact, if you got crazy radical faith, when you go to work or school or wherever you go on tomorrow, I dare you to take some velvet rope and just put it around you. And when people say, why you got that velvet rope? Say, oh, you didn't know? I'm a masterpiece. There was a God that created me. Picasso can't touch him. Leonardo da Vinci has nothing on the God that formed me I'm a masterpiece are y'all recording this I'm going to watch it later it's blessing me I'm telling you you're a masterpiece created by the greatest artist who is God be happy to be who God created you to be you are a masterpiece when I say you're a masterpiece understand that is not just feel good phraseology that is not preacher hype that is not self help talk you understand that is the word of God 
You don't believe me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 10 declares, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Watch this. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That God, hear me, is a strategic God. And he has already marked out a path and a lane for all of us to run in. And all you got to do, watch this, all you got to do is stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. All you got to do, stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. That is my entire message for tonight, okay? Everything else is just fluff. I came all the way from Dallas, Texas to Fresno, California to tell you two things. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. That's all I got. That's all I got. Literally all I got. Matter of fact, I'm done. God bless you. It's been so good being with you. (laughs) It sounds so simple and it sounds so elementary, but I'm finding that is the most difficult thing for people to do, just to stay in their lane and keep their eyes on Jesus. That is difficult for people to do. Come on, let's just think practically tonight. How many of you have ever been stuck in traffic? Can I see your hand? Wait a minute, we in Cali. All y'all have been stuck in traffic. And isn't it funny and a phenomenon, whenever you're stuck in traffic, you always, always feel like the lanes beside you are the ones that are moving faster. And what do you do? What do you do? You almost wrecked your car trying to get in somebody else's lane and you would have been better off just staying in your lane. God told me to tell you, don't wreck your life this year trying to get in somebody else's lane. Just stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. Come on, somebody. If I don't say anything else, I said enough right there. Stay in your lane. Look at your neighbor and say, stay in your lane. Come on, wake them up and say, stay in your lane. Your lane. Your lane. Your. Your. Your lane. What an incredible concept. What a brilliant notion to think that God and his benevolence and his sovereignty would take the time to give me a lane. You do know that a lane is comprised of two lines, right? Two lines make a lane. There's one line here and one line here. Sound effects always make preaching better, okay? (laughs) One line here and one line here. Two lines make a lane. And you have to stay within the parameters of the two lines. Two lines make a lane. Interestingly enough, every single one of us, we have two destinies. There is a duality to your destiny. One destiny is universal. There's a universal destiny for every believer, and that destiny is this, to become more and more like Jesus every single day. That is a universal destiny of every believer to become more and more like him, to think like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to forgive like Jesus, to show grace like Jesus, to show up to your family reunion like Jesus. Come on, somebody. That is the universal destiny of every believer. If you're sitting in this room tonight going, duh, what am I supposed to do with my life? I just told you, (laughs) become more and more like Jesus every single day. But you do have another destiny. And it is not universal, it is unique. And that is, you are to become unlike anybody God has ever created. Because when God made you, he broke the mold. Everybody else is already taken, you may as well just be you. Do you, boo-boo, just do you. So every morning, every day you wake up, this is how you run your race. Every day you wake up, you're trying to be more and more like Jesus and unlike anybody God has ever created. More and more like Jesus and unlike anybody God has ever created. And when you run like that with your eyes on him, he gives you the strength and the fortitude to run your race. Is this helping anybody in here tonight? This is why, this is why, watch this, once you put your faith in Jesus, you can never say you're just anything. Like that vernacular has to go out the window. Whatever you do, even your work becomes worship because that is your lane to give God glory. So so, so you can't make statements like, oh, well, I'm just a school teacher. No, you're not just a school teacher. You are God's representative in the classroom. So the classroom can see what does Jesus look like when Jesus teaches a class? That is your lane. You can't say, well, I'm just a nurse. No, you're not just a nurse. You are God's representative in the medical field. So the medical field can see, what does Jesus look like when Jesus gives you a flu shot? That is your lane. You can't say, well, Robert, I'm just a lawyer. No, you're not just a lawyer. You are God's representative in the law field. So the law field can see, what does Jesus look like when Jesus takes your case? Wherever you are, that is your lane. 
You can't say, well, bro, bro, I'm just a barista at Starbucks. Bro, 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 you're not just a barista at Starbucks. You are God's representative at Starbucks. So the coffee world can see, what does Jesus look like when Jesus serves a triple grande mocha frappuccino with extra whipped cream? That is your lane. Wherever you are, you got a lane. I'm going to say right here until it bothers you. Somebody saying, Robert, you ain't talking to me. You ain't talking to me because I'm just a hairstylist. Girl, you are not just a hairstylist. You are God's representative in that hair salon. So the hair salon can see what does Jesus look like when he puts weave and extensions in somebody's hair. Wherever you are, that's your name. The challenge, the challenge of life is to run your race with your eyes on him. Because the day, the day, you start running your race like this. Ooh, the day you start running your race like this. Let me prophesy to you. <laughs> there is a crash in your future. <laughs> Selah. <laughs> no wonder, no wonder Saul had such a huge crash. Because comparison caused him to shift all of his focus and all of his attention on the David. Make no doubt about it. There was a season in Saul's life where he was in his lane and he was running his race. Ooh, don't get it twisted. Saul was the first king of Israel. He was anointed and appointed by God to be king. I love when the Bible starts talking about Saul because the Bible uses very picturesque language. It says that Saul looked like a king. It says that he stood a head and shoulders above any other person. In fact, the Bible says that he was good looking. Come on, somebody. When the Bible says you're good looking, <laughs> can't nobody tell you you're ugly. Nobody. <laughs> you just tell them, read the word. You already know. <laughs> this selfie is for you. So <laughs> he looked like a king and he talked like a king and he had king swag. And, and God just blessed him to be king. God just blessed him. But I found out, even in my own life, you got to be real careful with the blessing of God. Because if the brightness of the blessing ever blinds you to the blesser, it is no longer a blessing. It has become a curse. And the brightness of the blessing blinded Saul to the blesser. So much so, he was more concerned with being the king than he was with worshiping the king of kings. He was more concerned with keeping his position than he was with chasing after God's presence. So God had to remove the kingship away from him. But there was another young boy out on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And all he cared about was being in the presence of his God. He didn't care about a title. He didn't care about a position. He didn't care about recognition. He didn't care about retweets or likes on Facebook. All he cared about was being in the presence of God. Even, even after his family, his family alienated him and ostracized him. And said, man, just go watch the stanky sheep. He is out there with the stanky sheep smiling with his harp, singing love songs to his God. Until one day... One day, his dad sends him a text message and says, hey, can you go to the battlefield and bring your brothers a ham and cheese sandwich? And when he gets to the battlefield with the ham and cheese sandwich, he sees a giant who is big enough to eat hay and dumb enough to enjoy it. And he says, wait a minute. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Ooh, I love David. He's gangster because that's Christian cussing right there, okay? That is classic Christian cussing. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He said, no gonna be quiet y'all gonna let him talk about my god in front of everybody no 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 not today i'm not the one i'm about to knock you out where my slingshot at mama said knock you out you about to get knocked out today man i'm sorry that moment was more for me than it was for you because <laughs> it was so funny to watch some of your faces go i ain't never read this version before <laughs> in my life let me help you tonight. Let me help you. That is the NIV, okay? The Negro International Version. That is a different translation. <laughs> David was like, no, you ain't going to talk about my God in front of me. He said, somebody let me know what do you get for knocking this giant out because I'm about to knock him out. He said, David, you want to know what you're going to get for knocking him out? You're going to get the king's daughter in marriage, and you ain't never going to have to pay taxes again in your life. David said, what? Somebody hold my harp. He said, you come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord, the God of these armies whom you have defiled. This day, I will cut off your head and feed your flesh to the wild beast of the field and the birds of the air. And today, the world will know there is a God in Israel. I love it. I love it. Exactly how David sounded that day, by the way. Releases that rock from his slingshot. If you've been around church, you know the story. 
hits Goliath in the forehead. Goliath comes crashing down. And hear me, church. The day Goliath hit that ground, David rose up. It was a destiny moment. You do know, you do know that all moments in your life are not created equal. There are some destiny moments where everything shifts, where everything changes in a moment. As a matter of fact, I pray that this will be a destiny moment for somebody this week. Where everything changes, where your eyes are open to the new thing that God wants to do in you. To what you see is possible. Oh, this was a destiny moment for David. In a moment, in a moment, he was catapulted from obscurity into notoriety. You do know that promotion from God comes quick. That's why you can't play games in 2017 and worry about what they said and what they wrote on your wall. You got more to do. God has purpose on your life. Oh, this was awesome. In a moment, David's name is trending on the internet now. Everybody's talking about David. They're saying, David, David, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. Kids are re-watching the fight on YouTube. He's on the cover of every Wheaties box. I'm telling you, kids talking about, Mama, I gotta get those David sneakers, they come out next week. You know they're going to be sold out. I mean, this is a big moment for David. He's doing interviews on CNN, TBN, ABC, NBC, HIJK, Elemental P. The whole alphabet wants to talk to David now. He can't go anywhere without paparazzi and TMZ showing up, trying to take pictures. I'm telling you, when he defeated Goliath, he became a rock star. Literally. Rock star. Christian jokes. I'm just trying to keep you in game. This is a big moment for David. He's finally arrived. He's defeated the giant. He's cut off his head. The wicked witch is dead. The game is over. The buzzard is sounded and the fat lady is finally sung. Well, the problem is Saul didn't like what the fat lady was singing. One of the fat lady, just a group of ladies. And uh, here's what they sang. Listen to what they sang. Saul has killed his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. And when Saul heard that, when it got in his heart, he went from running his race like this to fixing his eyes onto David. Therefore, Saul is a case study of the downward spiral of what comparison will always do to your life because comparison is always the beginning of the end. Okay. All of that, all of that uh, was my introduction. <laughs> I'm being so honest. <laughs> but, but I just want to show you how Saul's speech teaches us how comparison always starts. Notice what, what Saul says after the ladies sing their song. He goes, huh, you credit David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands? Hold up, 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 hold up. Y'all gonna credit David. Little old David with his nappy hair. With tens of thousands, but me with only thousands? Did you hear it? You know how comparison starts? Comparison always starts with, but me. He, but me. He, but me. See, Saul can't separate David's life from his life, nor can he separate David's success from his success. He immediately connects what's going on with David right back to him. He but me. Have you ever met a but me person? <laughs> These are the people that see everything in life through the lens of but me. I call them but me people because no matter what's going on with somebody else, they will find a way to connect it back to them because they are always thinking about themselves. I call them but me people. Okay, you need a visual. Let me give you a visual. You ever met somebody that sees everything in life through the lens of but me. I mean, they are completely blinded by but me. Now, if I fall off this stage that is very high tonight, please, please don't laugh at me because I cannot see anything right now because I am completely blinded by but me. And can I tell you, church, nothing will blind you to who Jesus is. Nothing will stop you from running your race like a but me attitude because how many know the focus of your life is not supposed to be on you. You're supposed to fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, so you can run the race he set before you. If you get your eyes off of you, you can do what God has called you to do. 
Oh, this is the worst attitude to have. A butt meat person is the worst person to talk to. They can't celebrate what's going on with somebody else without connecting it back to them. You, you call a butt meat person up, you'll be like, Ooh, God is good, isn't he? I finally got that raise on my job. Isn't he Jehovah Jireh, my provider? And they'll go, huh, that's good for you. God, how are you going to give him a raise on his job? I've been coming to celebration longer than him. I've been giving him every offering, paying my time. God, you know my money is funny and my change is strange. How are you going to bless him before me? Oh, but me. Ooh, but me is a horrible way to live. It'll rob you of your joy. It'll rob you of your peace because the focus of your life is on you instead of on him. I'm telling you, a but me attitude will take the joy out of the most celebratory moment. Well, celebratory. Nothing worse whoo, than a but me bridesmaid. I mean, come on, this is a wedding. Everybody's smiling. White doves have been released from a cage. Celine Dion is playing in the background. And there's the but me bridesmaid talking about, ah, but me. Lord, how you going to give her a man, but you still ain't giving me a man yet? Oh, you know how long I've been by myself, every night having to cuddle myself, every Valentine's Day sending roses to myself. You know how many nights I had to watch The Notebook on Netflix by myself? Ooh, I'm telling you, but me, will rob you of your joy, rob you of your peace, because the focus of your life is on you instead of on him. Saul has on the but me glasses. Now, I I I'm almost done, but I got to tell you this. When I first read this text, I actually empathized with Saul. I felt his pain. I really did. Because you got to ask yourself, who started the comparison? Who started it? It wasn't like Saul started it. Saul didn't come in one day and say, oh, woe is me. David, he's killed his tens of thousands, but little old me, I've just killed my thousands. No, Saul didn't say that. He didn't start the comparison. It wasn't even like David started it. Come on, we can understand if he felt some type of way if David walked in and said, ha, 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 guess what, Saul? Started, started from the bottom. I'm coming right there. I'm taking your spot. Oh, we can understand that. No, David didn't start it. This was, hear me, an external voice that placed the comparison on him. If I didn't have to already fight, the inner voice that wants to compare myself to other people. What do you do when somebody else has placed a comparison on you? Shh, come on, some of y'all have been there. Sometimes parents are the worst culprits. Why can't you be more like your sister? She always keeps her room clean. You walk by your sister's room and she's sitting on her bed that's been perfectly made. And you're like, I hate you. Oh, come on, can we be real? It is frustrating when people compare you to somebody else. Come on, I fell, Saul. You don't like it? Come on, some of you ladies have been there. You spend all day, all day slaving in that kitchen, cooking that macaroni and cheese for your man to come in, eat the macaroni and cheese, and have the nerve and audacity to say, mm, you know, my mama don't make macaroni and cheese like this. Call your mama to come make you some macaroni and cheese. Oh, come on, it's frustrating when people compare you to somebody else. So let's give Saul just a moment <laughs> to be human. And I empathize with Saul. I said, that's not right. They're comparing his number to David's number. And I thought Saul had the right to feel some type of way until I started studying the text. And I dig down deep into the archaeological value of this biblical passage in Pericope. And I found out that's not what the ladies were doing at all. Hear me, I'm almost done. On service level, you think they're comparing Saul's number to David's number, right? Because what did they say? Saul, you've killed your. And David, your. So you think they're comparing Saul's number to David's number, right? Which is what I thought, because I am better in English than I am in Hebrew. I started studying the text. I found out that is not what the ladies were doing at all. Almost always in Hebrew literature, whenever you would see a passage of scripture like this, they would almost always amplify the second number mentioned not necessarily because of its numerical value, but more so to intensify the totality of what was being said for literary impact. I'll give you some blues clues and make it real plain, okay? <laughs> we, we, we do the same thing today. We do the same thing today. I, I could say to you, hey, don't ask me for money. Ask my friend for money. He's got hundreds and thousands of dollars. What did I do? I amplified the second number mentioned. I would not say he's got hundreds and cents. I said he's got hundreds and I didn't even give you an exact amount. I was using that 
for literary impact. That is exactly what the ladies are doing here. Do you know what the ladies are saying in the original language? This is all the ladies are saying. Saul has killed a bunch, and David has killed a bunch. We're just glad they all dead. That's all they're saying. They're not even comparing Saul's number to David's number. That's all they're saying. Why can't Saul see that? But me. When the focus of your life is on you, hear me. You'll get offended when you shouldn't get offended. You'll get upset when you shouldn't get upset. I know that Facebook post was about me. No, you're just always thinking about you, boo-boo. That's why you thought it was... Because but me, rob you of your joy and your peace. Somebody comes to play softly behind me. Because when soft music plays behind a preacher, he sounds more spiritual. And, uh, <laughs> and you know I'm landing the plane. How do you know? How do you know if you have on the but me glasses? How do you know? I think there's some signs. Hear me. You might have on the but me glasses if you can't celebrate the successes of other people. You can't celebrate the successes of other people. Hear me. If you are stingy with your compliments, and you think to compliment or commend somebody else somehow takes something from you, you might have on the butt me glasses. Hear me. If there is anybody in your life, anybody in your life that secretly you would find joy or happiness in their failure. That's the person you're racing. <laughs> and you got on the butt me glasses. And can we be honest tonight? Isn't it so easy to put them on? Oh, it's so easy to slip on these glasses. I've done it. That's why I'm preaching this to you because I preached it to me. It is so easy to put on the butt me glasses, especially in our culture today. This culture of social media, social media. So we get that tomorrow. Because it has changed the landscape of life. We have so many devices where you can see what everybody has, what everybody's doing with the click of a button. Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter. We are constantly inundated with everybody else's life. And if you're not careful, it will make you hate yours. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how our awareness accelerates our discontentment? Come on. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how happy you would be if you just didn't know? But you got notifications on your smart device that's making you stupid. Oh, come on, you were so happy. You were so happy with your staycation in Fresno. You're like, whoo, y'all, it's gonna be a good staycation right here in Fresno. Until you saw somebody was going to Hawaii for their vacation, you're like, oh, but me, I wanna be here in Fresno, I wanna be in Hawaii. Oh, you were so happy when God blessed you with your Ford Focus, weren't you? Like, Ooh, God, thank you for my Ford Focus. I'm going to ask nobody for a ride. I am good. Lord, I'm focused on my Ford Focus. So you saw one of your friends on Facebook got them a brand new Ferrari, and they don't even go to church. You're like, but me, why have you forsaken me, Lord? Hear me. I'm not hating on Instagram. I'm not hating on Facebook. I'm not hating on Twitter. I'm not saying it's sin. I think it's awesome. I'll be on it after the service. <laughs> But sometimes I wonder, hear my heart, I really do wonder if the screens on our phones and our computers and our iPads have now become mirrors by which we constantly look for a reflection to see if we measure up to somebody else. And like a scene stolen from Snow White, we all silently echo the words of the Wicked Witch, who, by the way, check the mirror every day <laughs> just to see mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Only today it's mirror, mirror on Facebook. <laughs> Tell me how my life should look. <laughs> mirror, mirror on Instagram. Tell me who I really am. <laughs> we keep checking. Every minute. Every second. All day, every day. Eating dinner. In church. You better preach, Robert. You know, this is a good message right here. I just wonder, I just wonder what our lives would look like. wonder if God really could do a new thing. We fixed our eyes on his word. Which, by the way, James calls a mirror. 
maybe then we could get in our lane and run the race God has set before me. Come on, how many of you think it's time for the body of Christ to get off of their mark, to get on yours? Run your race. Worship team, join me. I'm done, and Pastor Randy told me to take my time tonight, so I'm going to take all of it. <laughs> um, but uh, just before we pray, I, I thought I would really be transparent, kind of tell you how this whole message got started. Because I can't preach stuff out that God had hit me upside the head with. In the not too distant past, I had this incredible opportunity to preach at this conference in Sydney, Australia. And at the time, it was my assignment to just preach to the youth and the young adults at this conference. It was like some six or 7,000 young people that were going to gather in this conference in Australia. I remember being so excited. I was like, ooh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to Australia, about to see some kangaroos and preach Jesus. This is going to be a good week. And in conjunction with the young people having their conference, there was also the main stage part of the conference. For the main stage part of the conference, some 30,000 people gather in an arena in Sydney, Australia for the main stage. And the people they have preaching main stage are people who are really struggling to get their ministries off of the ground. Uh, people like Bishop T.D. Jakes, uh, Joe Olstein, <laughs> and Joyce Meyer. <laughs> so I said, it's going to be an awesome week. I'm just going to preach to the youth and the young adults and get to sit in and listen to these great men and women of God preach. And so I'm sitting in that arena and my wife was there with me. My wife and I knew something that the other 30,000 people didn't know yet. And that was just before we had arrived to Australia to just preach to the youth and the young adults. I'd actually received an invitation to preach main stage at that conference the following year. So I'm sitting in that arena and I'm looking around. I'm kind of taking everything in. And all of a sudden, they show the promotional video for the next year's conference. And again, it's all these big names, big names, huge, big. Abraham Lincoln was one of the speakers they were going to have at this conference. And then my name comes up on the screen. And the pastor, the leader of the conference, he almost had to qualify. And after the video, he said, there's one name you probably did not recognize on the list. He said, it's Robert Madu. He said, it'll be one of the youngest speakers we've ever had to preach main stage. Then he pauses, true story, pauses and goes, you know what? I think I might let you guys get a preview of his preaching on this stage in this arena this week. Now, hold up. That would have been cool if I wasn't finding out in that moment with the other 30,000 people in the arena. Immediately, my heart went down into my foot. I started sweating. I see the pastor after the service. He goes, did you hear my announcement? I go, yes, I did. He goes, he goes, true story. He goes, I'm thinking tomorrow after Bishop T.D. Jakes preaches. You could get up and preach for like 10 minutes as a preview for next year's conference. He goes, what do you think about that? I went, yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Went to the hotel room that night. True story. Fell on the ground in the fetal position. Tears coming down my face. I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. You ever just had one of those moments where you felt overwhelmed and intimidated by an opportunity? I said, I can't do this. Why would he tell me this now? He could have told me this 30 years ago. What's wrong with you? My wife, she's the best. She's my CEO. She's my chief encouragement officer. And she said, babe, it's okay. You can do it. You can do it. I said, no, I can't. No, I can't. Called my dad up for some support. I called my dad. You know, my dad is from Nigeria. He's from Nigeria. He, he came. He came from Africa to America. Like Eddie Murphy in the movie. And <laughs> he met my mom, who is American. My mom's American. So, you know, when your dad's African, your mom's American. That makes you which is what I am. And <laughs> called my African dad up for support. I'll never forget what he said. He said, son, you can do this. Before the foundation of the earth, God knew you would be there. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do this. You can do it. I said, no, I can't. No, I can't. No, I can't. So overwhelmed. So intimidated. Before I got on stage in that arena, I had a conversation that I often have with myself. I paused for a moment. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who opened this door? Who opened this door? God did. Who did they ask to preach? Me. It can only be me. So I got up there for 10 minutes. I was me. 
when I got off the stage and I was studying this text, I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me a critical question. The Holy Spirit said, Robert, would you like to know the real reason why you fell on the ground in the fetal position with tears coming down your face? I thought to myself, real? Re uh, no. I know the real reason. There were 30,000 people in the arena. Holy Spirit said, no, that's not the real reason. Actually, the real reason you felt that weight of intimidation is because when you were listening to all those other names preach, you are listening to the word of God. You are actually comparing how they run their race to the way I've called you to run your race. And that's why you felt that weight of intimidation. So let that be the last time tears come down your face because you're playing the comparison game. And why don't you just rest in the fact that I have given you a grace to run your race. There is a grace to run your race. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. I said there is a grace to run your race. So I got an announcement. I'm glad to make a celebration. I hope it don't stop me from coming back. But can I tell y'all, I'm a horrible T.D. Jakes. I'm the worst Joe Osteen you have ever seen. I'm not a good Pastor Randy. I'm not a good anybody else. Y'all know I'm not a good Joyce Meyer. But there's one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I am the best Robert Madu you have ever seen in your life. Oh, come on somebody. I gotta be me and you gotta be you. This is your year to get in your lane and fix your eyes on Jesus run your race. Come on, somebody give God some praise in this place tonight. Oh, come on, can you get up on your feet and give our God some praise in this place tonight? Hallelujah! Be happy to be who God created and called you to be. Hear me, church. I believe, I believe this is going to be your best year ever. It is. God said, I can't do what I want to do in your life if you're still running your race like this. This is your moment right at the beginning of this year to say, God, fixing my eyes on you, getting in my lane, give me the strength and the grace to run my race. God, I ask you tonight, heads bowed, eyes closed all over this place. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that somehow, some way through my words, you, you spoke to your people tonight. Father, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister. Who, God, the weight of comparison, Lord, keeps pulling them down. God, maybe they didn't even know what it was. Maybe tonight I just articulated a feeling that made them wonder, why have I been losing my joy and my peace? And God, maybe it's because our eyes have been on the wrong thing. Lord, I pray tonight right at the onset of this first day, the second month of the year, that we would fix our eyes on you. God, I know you're going to give us the strength and the grace to run our race. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this place tonight. God has so given me a mandate to preach this message everywhere that I go. I've never seen something resonate more with the body of Christ. His head's about eyes are closed. If you're here tonight and you'd be so honest to say, you know what, I, I've been playing the comparison game. I've been looking to the left and looking to the right, and I just need to fix my eyes back on Jesus so I can run my race. If that's you, with heads about eyes closed, you just lift up your hand and say, that's me, that's me. I, I've been playing the comparison game. I need to fix my eyes back on him, yeah. Hands are going up all over this place tonight. Anybody else? Say, that's me. That's me. Thank you. Just lift it up and put it right back down. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Anybody else? Heads still bowed. Eyes still closed. If you're in here tonight and you be so honest to say, you know what? I've never even taken that first step, which is to get in the race in the first place. Some of you just need to surrender your life to him. If you're in here tonight, I don't care if it's just one person. You say, Pastor Robert, I've never even surrendered my life to Jesus. I just need to give him all of me. That's you. I want to pray with you tonight. Would you just lift up your hand right where you are and say, that's me. That's me. Yeah. See those hands. See those hands. Yeah. That's why you had to be here tonight. Here's what I'm going to ask. The worship team, they're going to lead us in a moment. Watch this. This is not to embarrass anybody. Honestly, this is to empower you.
But if you lifted up your hand for either one of those, either saying, you know what, I've been playing the comparison game, looking to the left or to the right. I need to fix my eyes back on him. Or saying, you know what, I need to surrender my life to him. When I count to three, I'm just going to ask you to be so bold and so brave just to get out of your seat and to come find a place here at the front. Get as close to this altar as as you can. And I'm believing that as you come down to this altar, you are walking into a new place. It is indicative of what God is doing in the spiritual realm that the old you that's been playing the comparison game is back at your seat and you are stepping into everything that God has for you. And I just want us to rest in his presence. Come on, when I count to three, if you lifted up your hand or you should have, don't worry about what somebody else is going to think. This is between you and God tonight. I want you to come. One, two, three. Would you come? Would you come wherever you are? Come on. Come on. And let's just begin to fix our eyes on him as the worship team leads us. Come on, this is your year to step into what God has for you. This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc.